So Thursday and Friday last week, markets were being knocked around by the Bank of Japan. We have a crash course on yield curve control this morning. We'll be looking at what happened on Thursday and how much of it was reversed to an extent on Friday as weaker inflation numbers came out for Europe and the US. Plus the RBA and the Bank of England this week. It's Monday, the 21st of July, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, it was a bit of a frantic end to the week last week. And how much of that really comes down to the Bank of Japan? Well, let's look at that. First, the big moves at the end of the week. U.S. 10-year yields were down almost five basis points on Friday. But that's coming down from the big rise that we saw on Thursday. So they were up 11 over the week, basically, even with that fall on Friday. Japanese 10-year bond yields rose more than 10 basis points on Friday for reasons we'll come to, but basically because they're allowed to. The yen that was up on Thursday, even against the rise, US dollar was down 1.2% on Friday against a US dollar that was itself falling. It fell 0.1% on the DXY. That's helped the pound up 0.4%, the euro up 0.3%. The Aussie drifted lower on Friday from 67 US cents down to 66.5%. And US equities were back on the rise on Friday, 1.9% for the Nasdaq in a single day, almost accounting for all the gains it made last week. Same story for the S&P, up 1% on Friday and 1% over the week. But the big hitter on Friday was the CSI 300, up 2.3%, 4.5% across the week. The Hang Seng also doing well. Big rises on Friday and 4.4% over the week. So with the CSI 300 doing so well, you'd be thinking good news for China. That's going to push up commodity prices, right? Wrong. Well, it was for iron ore anyway, which was down 4.7% last week, but it was a good week for oil. Brent and WTI both up 4.5% over the week. So first of all, I think we might have underplayed the importance of the yield curve control changes made by the Bank of Japan that was signalled on Thursday when the yen did rise quite markedly and we saw a big rise in US yields on Thursday. So what was happening? Nabs Ray Actual joins me to talk about it this morning. So take us through what happened how the word of changes by the Bank of Japan played into bond markets, how that reflected in currency markets on Thursday, and how much of that was retraced on Friday, and why that happened. That's enough to start with, Ray. There is, isn't there? And um, and, and you're right that uh, part of the reason that the yen is actually weaker on Friday was because of the strength that we saw on Thursday night when that uh, Nikkei story hinting at just such a change in the yield curve control policy was, uh, you know, was splattered across the across the news wires. But um, what has the Bank of Japan done? Arguably, it's done nothing. All it's doing is saying we will allow greater flexibility. Um, so remember that um, to date, or since last December, there's been a, a 0.5% upper limit on, um, you know, how much the Bank of Japan will tolerate JGB yields rising above their 0% target. That has now been lifted effectively to 1%. Um, and so, you know, they're going to allow sort of more flexibility. And, you know, a sense is that, um, you know, in doing so, they've sort of tried to head off the potential for another bout of yen weakness that that might have followed had there been absolutely no change uh, in policy. But, but tellingly, you know, looking at the comments that the Bank of Japan governor made on uh, Friday evening following the changes, you know, he's really stressing that um, you're removing the this hard 0.5% ceiling is aimed at enhancing the sustainability of the current policy settings amid a very high uncertainty about the outlook. And tellingly also, they have uh, actually revised down their fiscal year 2024 core inflation forecast from 2% to 1.9. So that really underscores the fact that they don't think that uh, that the inflation and wages conditions have yet been met. And um, 
tellingly also, um, you know, they put out a one-page explainer of the YCC um, policy shift, and it, which contains a chart of inflation expectations that shows that whether it's economists, households, or market participants, yes, inflation expectations have gone up, but they're still, you know, well shy of 2%. They're not even up to 1.5%, for example, even though firms themselves see inflation close to 2 So, you know, the reading is that um, nothing is going to happen for at least another three months as far as a formal policy change is concerned. And I think that's probably why, you know, the end strength that we did see on the initial report and following the announcement was pretty much retraced so what, what, into the uh, New York So close. what physically happens then? Does that mean that in in, in uh, sort of loosening this control that they are, in effect, buying less bonds themselves so there's more bonds available on the open market? Is that is that what happens? So bond buyers rush in because there's an opportunity there? Well, in the sense that, yes, um, you know, previously, whenever the 10-year the yield basically t- you know, banged up against that 0.5% target, the BOJ was kind of obligated obligating itself to come in and buy potentially unlimited quantities of 10-year bonds in order to hold the yield down there. And, uh, you know, as a result of that, they, they own, you know, a large p- part of the universe of 10-year bonds. And we've had that sort of kink in the yield curve where, you know, yields sort of start, slightly below 10 years and above 10 years have been higher than the 10-year yield. So effectively, they're sort of ironing out that that kink in the curve. But yes, it does mean, uh, A, it means, you know, they should have to be less aggressive going forward in terms of sort of defending the target, given that they will allow yields to rise as much as 1%. But, um, you know, it also means that um, if, if yields do, you know, settle well above 0.5%, the suggestion is that Japanese investors will be less enamoured of buying overseas bonds with with higher yields that they typically then hedge the FX exposure back to uh, back to Japan, uh, and that's why we saw yields rising everywhere else, not least in Australia. Actually, the biggest move on the day on Friday, as far as the global ripple effects, was actually the Aussie bond market, which I think was up sort of 18, 19 basis points off the lows right. at one point. But that you only do that once. I mean, they've made that change until they make another change. So people have adjusted to that. Is that why we've seen things come back? Plus, we've had also, which we'll come on to in a second, news that, you know, perhaps inflation is looking even lower in the United States. So uh, so, so that's played into it as well. But, I mean, this is a one-time change. So the, the market adjusts. You don't expect it to go on day after day, do you? No, I mean, I think the point is that, you know, the circumstances under which JGBLs are going to be rising much above 0.5% will probably be because, Bond yields are rising elsewhere in the world. So tellingly, again, for the yen, um, you know, we haven't what what Governor Ueda has not done is set a sort of a condition for a sustained narrowing in the yield spread between foreign bonds and Japanese bonds. And that really is, is a precondition for expecting the yen to sort of reverse this secular weakness that's been in place, you know, pretty much ever since the YCC policy has been put into place. And obviously, especially since um, central banks everywhere else in the world have started to tighten policy. So the other thing that happened on Friday uh, was we got European inflation numbers. Uh, well, we got the first bit of them. We get more today, but we got Germans in Germany inflation. Well, it was pretty much as expected, 0.3% month on month for the headline number, same as June. Spain is down to 0.1%, although that was expected it might be a, a negative number, you know, real life deflation uh, in, in effect. Uh, but even so, you know, still low. And then the inflation in the United States, the core PCE was ever so slightly lower than expected. Uh, the month on month figure was 0.2%. That was uh, 
Uh, actually, it was 0.165%, so uh, even better than 0.2%, which is what was expected. And then the em- employment cost index also was a bit lower than expected. Uh, so all of that has been seen as, you know, hopeful news that, you know, maybe Japan won't see their getting their inflation back on target next year, but and, and the US certainly won't, but at least it's another step in the right direction, isn't it? No, certainly. And it's certainly sort of playing to the view that uh, both that, um, you know, the Fed uh, could well be one and done after last week's rate rise and that the ECB, you know, seeing some encouraging news on inflation will be minded to skip an additional uh, rate hike at the next meeting in September. But in terms of detail, yes, both the French and the German ones in um, year on year terms were about a tenth uh, softer than expected and both down a, a fair few tenths of a percent. Um, and that uh, that core PCE deflator, uh, because of the rounding, as you say, that uh, 0.165, how we like our third decimal places when it comes to inflation, you know, it's down to what, 4.1 from 4.4, had been expected at 4.2. So uh, good progress there. I do note that um, Christine Lagarde, the ECB president, was out speaking to Le Figaro at the weekend and says that even if we do uh, pause at an upcoming meeting, um, there could still be further hikes, uh, you know, at, um, following a pause. So she's very clear to say that uh, a pause in September will not mean that the ECB necessarily thinks it's done with the tightening cycle. Yeah, people have been asking for, you know, more three decimal places on the podcast, please. I mean, there's a lot of demand for that, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, so the so the retracing that we saw, basically, uh, you know, in terms of the currency markets, I mean, there was a lot of retracing from what happened on Thursday through to Friday. And it was simply because of those weak inflation numbers. The market tipped back to looking at what was happening in the US and Europe. Well, I think so. But certainly sort of bond yields, you know, have so certainly in the US, you know, having you know been up sort of, you know, five, 10 basis points, you know, in the wake of the Bank of Japan's move, we ended up, I think, four or five basis points down on the day. And so you can clearly, you know, lay the blame for that reversal on those uh, ECI and uh, and PCE deflator numbers, to be sure. Um, and obviously, from an equity market perspective, um, you know, they're certainly playing towards the, the soft landing, wouldn't go as far to say the, the no landing camp that is getting a, a couple of adherents, um, you know, but certainly it plays to that view that the Fed may yet be able to pull off a, a soft landing, uh, getting inflation, you know, certainly heading down towards 2%. I did think it was interesting, incidentally, just going back over the entrails of um, Jay Powell's press conference after the Fed, that he talked about the fact that they would stop raising rates well before they'd hit the 2% inflation target, but they'll also be cutting rates you know, before inflation hit 2% on a sort of forward-looking inflation view. So, um, you know, all told, though, uh, you know, a good night for bonds and, and a good night for risk assets, um, I think almost entirely uh, on the back of that. And also, you know, the fact that even with this YCC tweak, it, it, is it the condition for a sort of a permanent shift higher in uh, European and US bond yields? I, I think uh, when the dust settles, the conclusion is is not that will still be made by uh, by local uh, incoming data. I mean, look, we've got two very important central bank decisions this week, haven't we? We've got the RBA and the, the Bank of England. Uh, one probably won't rise, the other uh, will, uh, but you can never be too sure. But the expectations for the RBA pretty low that they're going to make a move now, aren't they, tomorrow? Yes, but there's a there's a big contrast, isn't there, between the market that's describing little over 20% chance of a hike and, um, you know, adding to that sort of reduced 
um, expectations with the weak um, Australian retail sales numbers that we had on Friday, down 0.8 against uh, 0% expected on top of the uh, the slight downside surprise on CPI uh, that we had earlier in the week. Um, but I've looked at the, the Bloomberg poll and the Reuters polls of, of economists. I think on Bloomberg, we've got 15 of 26 um, analysts looking for an increase and 20 out of 36 in the Reuters poll. So quite a quite a divergence there. So, um, um, and obviously everybody would have been re-polled, if you like, after those, uh, those, those data points last week. So um, again, there's going to be a fair bit of volatility um, depending on whether or not they do rise. Our view is that uh, just that CPI print and, and retail sales together, if the RBA is looking for an excuse to, to stay on hold, which uh, to some extent you'd say has been the kind of modus operandi of, uh, of the low RBA um, in recent months, um, then they've been gifted um, those numbers to do that. But uh, will it be a terrible yeah, surprise? Yeah, we get housing credit numbers as well, don't we, today? So they'd be paying attention to that, that, that as well, wouldn't they? Uh, possibly, yes. I mean, they've been pretty steady at around sort of 0.4% a month on average, and uh, that's the expectation for today's numbers. These numbers are for June, remember, so they're already sort of month out of date. So I don't think they have, <clears throat> sorry, major, major impact. And um, yes, and as, as far as the Bank of England is concerned, then it's it's not uh, zero or twenty five; it's twenty five or fifty. But the market much better priced for twenty five than than fifty. That's also in line with it, sort of the Economist polls as well. And obviously, that uh, encouraging CPI news that we had uh, earlier in the month has uh, has played heavily into that. And, and we've and we've got Ben Bernanke running a slide rule over past decisions made by the Bank of England. That's right. That was an announcement on Friday evening that uh, the former Fed chair has been appointed to lead an in depth review of past Bank of England forecasting errors. So uh, did prompt me to uh, a thought bubble as to whether he might swing by Martin Place now, and, now. and think about doing the same now. once he's done in Threadneedle Street. Steady. Now, uh, China's PMIs are out today as well, just the, the other bit of data. Of course, no, non-farm payrolls, you should mention, is a busy week because that's at the end of the week. But China's PMIs out today uh, with an expected slight rise. I mean, we've seen what's going on. The CSI 300 at the end of the last week uh, was, was rising a lot. The same in Hong Kong as well. So has the flavour changed a little towards China? Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the sort of, you know, the divergence between commodity prices and the S&P certainly looks like CSI. Chinese. So the CSI is still feeding favorably off the sort of Politburo announcements that you know, while we're still awaiting some significant sort of fleshing out of the detail, uh, equity markets do seem to be taking a sort of positive spin on that, that there will be meaningful um, fiscal support for for economic recovery. But as you note, it's, uh, it's not really showing up in the likes of iron ore prices uh, just yet. And, uh, and those PMI numbers today um, are expected to show so, you know, small falls in both services and manufacturing. We get the official ones today and then the Kaizen ones on Tuesday and uh, and Thursday, I think it is. So um, so a little bit too, obviously too soon to expect that um, any policy measures that haven't yet been rolled out are going to show up in these numbers. So, um, again, whether that's going to take a little bit of the gloss off, uh, off buoyant uh, risk sentiment in China, uh, we... Uh, Remains to be seen. And uh, look, all about Australian house prices on the weekend edition of the Morning Call. I think we can tell people that now, can't we? That we are now six days a week, starting Let's do on, so. starting on Friday, and uh, we do a deep dive each week. And this week, we're going to start by looking at, uh, at Australian house prices. Good timing, actually, with the RBA, isn't it? This week, so uh, yeah, listen out for that. If you just if you have not got enough of us, five days a week, we're here six days a week. I'm looking forward to listening, not participating. <laughs> exactly, course, that's so, right. Uh, <laughs> we're keep, keeping Ray out of it. Sensibly. All right, that's it for now. Good to talk, Ray. Catch you next time. Thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow for the first day of the month. I'll see you then. Have a great Monday.